You are entering the Freedom Hut. The COVID-19 surge is here and it threatens to sweep across the rest of the country soon. We'll talk about how much of the U.S. now is under lockdown, much of the world under lockdown. How is the race to get ventilators going here in the city and across the country? Plus, we'll talk about the $8 trillion that Larry Kudlow says is going out with this new rescue package and everything else you need to know about what's going on right now coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Like I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. We have to put the country to work. Look, you're going to lose a number of people to the flu, but you're going to lose more people by putting a country into a massive recession or depression. You're going to lose people. You're going to have suicides by the thousands. You're going to have all sorts of things happen. You're going to have instability. You can't just come in and say, let's close up the United States of America, the biggest, the most successful country in the world by far. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. Uh, We are now in week two of quarantine. We are, I think, eight days away, seven days away from the 15 days to stop the spread. We have all the updates for you on where this stands in different cities, counties across the country, what hospitals are already starting to feel the strain, what's going on around the world, what the Chinese government is saying about this, the package that looks like as I go to air is going to pass soon, although how soon I can't quite tell you. It may be uh, may already be through by the time you hear this, but there's agreement, they've said, on this $2 trillion of direct cash payments and then $6 trillion of injection lending into the economy by the Fed, by the federal government. And so now we have to look at what the status is of this effort to get ahead of our uh, of, of this pandemic. And how are we doing with regard to that? And I'm also going to promise you right now, we're going to take a little bit more of a, of a deep breath, at least in the third hour of the show. We got to talk about just how things are going. We, we, we can't just allow ourselves. And this is not just for me as I'm doing this show. I'm doing four hours radio a day. It's mostly coronavirus all the time. It's the biggest story in the world. No one doubts that. It's far and away the most important issue facing humanity right now. It's not a political issue. It's not a national security issue. It's an everything issue altogether. But we'll try to take a, a collective deep breath later on in the show. And just I'll share with you some some things I'm reading, some things I'm seeing, talking to folks. We, we need that sense of community. You are my community right now. I do not get to see anyone else. So the team matters in a way that uh, is is unprecedented in that sense because I rely on all of you for human human connection and contact with the outside world. As I am here behind pandemic lines in the middle of New York City, the place that is the worst hit of anywhere in the country and has the third most confirmed cases of any area of similar size in the world. Uh, so this is this is very troubling. Um, well, the U.S. I think is number three on the overall list. I'd have to check and see where just New York alone is um, but you have a massive spike here in cases but you notice the president yesterday he did a a virtual town hall he did a press conference 
And you, you can basically count the hours until you start to see uh, certain members of the media who are not going to uh, lessen any of their partisanship right now. You can basically count down until they start saying that Trump, Dr. Fauci, they're spending too much time informing the public. That's what we'll be told, that they're doing too much of this press conference stuff. And you know what a large part of that push will be assuming that it happens i think you'll start to see media criticism of is this the best usage of trump's time is this the best usage of dr fauci's time and remember this comes days after fauci wasn't at one press conference uh, wasn't at one of these task force meetings that they've been holding where they answer questions and tell people what's going on and where's dr fauci became this trending issue where's dr fauci people were very very concerned all of a sudden and i think it's because the Ability that the president has to connect with the American people to show some command of the situation to show us that he's doing everything that he reasonably can right now to keep as many of us safe as possible. And yes, get us back to economic activity as soon as possible. Uh, that means that the president that perception has meant the president is now uh, doing well in terms of public approval. And I do think that most of the liberal media you know, they, they are focused more on getting past this. I'm not going to say that they're acting like complete monsters. I think they want us to get past this uh, with minimum loss of life. But they also, as a secondary concern, for sure, want to make sure that this is the end of Donald Trump, that this is the end of his administration, that he's this destroys him, this defeats him and that they can just push Joe Biden, who I mean, really, after three years of having Democrats talk about how. You know, Trump isn't smart enough. He's not good enough. He's not this. He's not that. And now to see them push this re really uh, sort of doddering old man. I mean, somebody who really looks like he is in no way up for this and does not inspire confidence, does not in any way make people think that he's got a command of the situation. Um, that's just crazy. But this is what they're telling us now. Oh, if Joe Biden was in charge. You've noticed that he's faded in the background a little bit. And because New York is the front line of this battle right now, and because Governor Cuomo has been holding press conferences every day, he's certainly the Democratic figure that is getting the most attention in this fight. And people are asking questions. I'm just going to say it. There, there are folks out there who, who are raising, why is it that we're all supporting Biden you know, why, why couldn't we go with Cuomo from the Democrat side I'm talking about now, but I'm seeing this start to happen. And I just bring it up because Biden just doesn't have it, folks. He's not, he's not, yeah, maybe he's the nominee, but mm -mm, doesn't look like he can get it done. But let, let's get back into where we are with this fight against the virus. The president said that we have to be concerned about a depression that will lose more people to recession, depression than coronavirus. And this is what I've been trying to talk to for a while now. And there's a, a very uh, clear movement, particularly online and among some opinion journalists and bloggers and Hollywood types uh, to suggest that anybody who is not completely on board for an open ended lockdown of the economy is throwing grandma under the bus or off the cliff only cares about their 401k. Uh, this is this is disgusting. It's bad faith. It's not true. Um, and the people that are looking at all the numbers and have the access to the best information right now are saying 
we do have to make sure that we don't let the economy get too bad. And there will be difficult choices here ahead. I'm not saying right now, not even Trump said we got to open the economy tomorrow, right? We have the 15 days. That is the plan. He said he was hopeful, and we played this for you yesterday, hopeful to open things up a bit. You got to listen to the people. I mean, you got to listen to the people who are being honest about this and tune out those who say the president promised, the president set a deadline. He did no such thing. Expressions of hope are just that. He's trying to keep everybody calm, forward-looking, while also taking the necessary precautions in this moment. But the August, I mean, the uh, April 11th deadline is not a deadline at all. It's just the president saying, and it was reported as such in the media, it's just the president saying, listen, we're going to get back to work as quickly as we can. And maybe back to work means masks, gloves, Maybe it means social distancing practice to the degree possible in the office, you know, hand sanitizer everywhere, very strict rules about anyone who feels even a little bit sick stays home. And, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that it's ever going to be quickly the way that it was before this, but we do need to grapple with the reality of what this would become in time. I I also see meaning that if we kept the maximum shutdown in place, if we do what we're doing right now, which is a level of, of extreme that I think is shocking to a lot of people. Governor Cuomo right now is uh, saying that they're going to practice um, mandatory playground social density policing. It's a fancy way of saying you can't have more than a few people in the playground at one time and we'll, we'll find people if we have to and then we might shut and they'll just shut the parks down if they don't abide by this. So unfortunately, when you're in a situation as we are right now, people that refuse to play by the rules, people that refuse to do what is necessary to try and protect everybody, they make life harder for everyone. Um, there might they might open streets to tra- uh, to foot traffic, but not vehicle traffic as a means of spreading things out on the street so that you can go for a walk and you don't have to come within. I mean, look, I'm, I'm out here where there's more of this virus than anywhere else in the country by far and even on the streets that are pretty empty you end up finding yourself unless you want to walk out into traffic you have to walk within a few feet of individuals Um, this is going to spread around the country it's already happening i'll I'll tell you about that with the hospital uh, hospital surge situation that we're already seeing in georgia we're already seeing in a lot of states that people don't think of as hot spots for this florida Look, Florida got a lot of New Yorkers. A lot of people said, oh, I'm going to go to my house in Florida and, and ride this out because things are bad in New York. Guess what? Now there's a lot more in Florida than people were anticipating. And this is also why Dr. Deborah Burks, who's now become a household name during this, has said if you're in New York at all, you have to be in quarantine for 14 days. So I am now officially under guidance. I mean, I've been saying I'm in a semi self-quarantine, but I knew we were just sliding toward full on quarantine um, I am now, you know, in in a mandated quarantine situation. That's that's the, that or at least that's the mandatory guidance. They're not forcing me to do this, but I'm at home for at least two weeks. And if you're in New York, it's not like two weeks from now you'll be you'll be able to think that everything is fine. All they're saying is when you go somewhere else, you've got a quarantine for 14 days because you could be infected. And if you're in New York, you should act as if you might be infected. That's where we are right now. So 
the president is walking a very tight rope here of maximum protections for everybody while also keeping an eye on the economy. And this is necessary. And this is not about trading dollars for lives. In fact, it is looking at the long-term sustainability of this country and all of the lives in it uh, and making sure that, you know, doctors have equipment coming to them from our, you know, from our facilities and food is still on the shelves and some commerce is still happening because things and I, and I do not believe we're going to this. So I'm not I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom at all. But if we have food shortages, then all the people that are saying, oh, but, you know, we can do this for we can do this for months. We don't have to change anything. I think they'll recognize that that was very short sighted because uh, things will get very ugly and very scary really quickly. And there will also be other strains on the healthcare system as a result of this. People are going to be making their own decisions. So we have to be balancing these two components of maximizing public health and safety while also keeping alive. I'm not saying flourishing, keeping alive the economy. We have to do that. And that's why when Governor Cuomo said this, and I know I'm talking about New York a lot and a lot of guys, a lot of you folks aren't in New York, but this is the canary in the coal mine. I mean, New York is showing us what's coming and what's happening, and it will come to not the same numbers, but you're, you're going to have situations like this. And most, for most of you listening to this, if you're in an urban area at all, including suburbs, uh, you know, if, if you're within an hour or two drive of a pretty major city, you're going to be dealing with this. Um, but Governor Cuomo said this, and, and I, I understand where he's coming from, but I also think that this is not I think this is not really intellectually honest the way he's he's framing this right now, because no one thinks that anyone's expendable. No one is OK with any American dying from this right now. We all want everyone to survive. When you start from that premise, at least then you can act in good faith when you try to balance out the other imperatives here. Here's what Schumer play clip 19. I'm sorry what to Cuomo said. Yeah, my mother is not expendable. And your mother is not expendable. And our brothers and sisters are not expendable. And we're not going to accept a premise that human life is disposable. And we're not going to put a dollar figure on human life. Uh, first order of business is save lives, period, whatever it costs. Now, I also don't believe it's an either or. I believe you can have an intelligent, refined public health strategy. You talk about risk stratification. You can have people go to work. You can test people and find out that they are resolved from the virus. Let them go back to work. You can have younger people go back to work. You can have an economic startup strategy that is consistent with the public health strategy. It's smart. Now, notice how he says, we'll do anything for health, for, for every single life. We'll do anything. And then he says, but, you know, we're going to have risk stratification. That's a fancy way of saying we're going to have to make some tough choices. This is going to be imperfect. And there is going to be escalation of risk on either the economic side or the spread of infection, which also means loss of life, because there is a percentage of people that get infected that, that will die from this. So he's saying effectively we're going to balance this out as best we can. But he first comes out with, well, all that matters here is that we sp we'll spend any amount to save every life. Um, 
if, if you really did that, you would end up losing a lot more lives because you would you would destroy the entire system that's supposed to support the effort to fight against the virus. Right. The, this is I know this gets into a bit of ethics and, and philosophical uh, struggle, but we all need to be clear headed about there are no perfect solutions here. There's nothing that's going to keep everyone alive. There's nothing that's going to make the economy roar. Uh, we are going to have to be looking at this day by day by the numbers, by the metrics and make tough calls. But if we make them together and if we're honest about what's going on and we keep in mind our most fundamental human principles, but also our uh, view to the common good, the common welfare, we're going to come through this better than it feels like we will right now. That is my hope. I do not make predictions right now. Um, but I also think you need to be on the on the watch for demagogues who anyone who is promising you that we can go back to some degree of economic or a greater degree of economic normal without increased risk is wrong. And they may be lying to you because the pandemic, this disease is not going away before we have a vaccine. It's not going away. So for the rest of this year, this is what we're dealing with. This is where we are. But we'll fight and we'll get through. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. During our town hall today, you threw out a date where you think America can be working again. And that's Easter Sunday. That's 19 days from now. How did you come up with so, that day? Well, it's 19 days, but add another seven because we've been doing this now for seven. So that's from the time we heard about it. Seven to nine. From the time we, yes, so from the time we, we close it up. So you could add seven to nine. Uh, look, Easter's a very special day for me. And I see it's sort of in that timeline that I'm thinking about. And I say, wouldn't it be great to have all of the churches full? You know, the churches aren't allowed essentially to have much of a congregation there. And most of them I watched on Sunday online. And he was terrific, by the way. But online is never going to be like being there. So I think Easter Sunday and you'll have packed churches all over our country. I think it would be a beautiful time. And it's just about the timeline that I think is right. It gives us more chance to work on what we're doing. And I'm not sure that's going to be the day, but I would love to aim it right at Easter Sunday. So we're open for church service and services generally on Easter Sunday. That would be a beautiful thing. It would be. He's expressing hope. He is not making a promise. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Unfortunately, even though we're facing an unprecedented situation that has us all concerned, look, I, I am concerned. I am not panicked. We will be OK. Um, you know, you have to just steal your your sense of of calm and, and resolve and just know that we will endure and we are capable of amazing things. We, the American people, will get through. But even in that environment where we're all so clear that there is a need right now to stop the childish crap. I mean, I told you yesterday about the media trying to pile on to the president and say that because someone drank fish tank cleaner, which sounded like the thing the president mentioned, and he was completely right to mention it. They're using it right now in trials in New York City. I am praying. I am actually actively praying every day now for that to work, because even if it brings down, let's say, mortality rates for those who are hospitalized by 50% and gets them out of the hospital, you know, 50% sooner. 
that would be miraculous right now because it would do so much to relieve the strain on the hospital system, which I will be talking to you about in just a moment. But it's frustrating because at this point in time, there are still those who are looking at things from the lens of what was true months ago about how, how we should approach one another, how we should deal with one another, what we should say about politics, what kind of gamesmanship and other nonsense is acceptable. And it wasn't acceptable then, but I mean, it's really unacceptable now. And you have uh, the, a Biden super PAC that's already on on the offensive against Trump. Now, I know there's a presidential election going on, but, you know, while we're doing the 15 days, you know, there, there are times when you put things aside. I remember uh, back during the financial crisis, right? Didn't uh, McCain stop campaigning for a week or two? Now, some people thought that was grandstanding, but there, there is a there's a legitimate case to be made in a situation like this, for sure, where there are quite literally thousands of lives at stake um, that you can put this you can put aside the petty partisan squabbles and move on to something else. But no, right here in the middle of the 15 days, we have to hear from Joe Biden and Joe Biden's super PAC. And here's what they have to say about the Trump response to coronavirus play 17. Crisis comes to every presidency. We don't blame them for that. What matters is how they handle it. Donald Trump didn't create the coronavirus, but he is the one who called hoax, who eliminated the pandemic response team, and who let the virus spread unchecked across America. Crisis comes to every president. This one failed. That's just disgusting. It's not true. It's not right. The pandemic response team in the NSC was folded into another component and they streamlined the order of operations because the Obama administration doubled the size of the NSC from what it was traditionally. It was usually around 100 to 200. The Obama NSC got to 400 people. That's huge. It's the size of Congress. And that's in, that's remember, it's not like the NSC is the the NSC is just an advisory body to the White House, to the president on these matters. The president still has the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, still has the 17 ag- agencies of the intelligence community, still has the NIH, still has the CDC, still has more federal agencies, FDA, more federal agencies than anybody can even name or remember, including people who work for the federal government, which I used to. And they act like, oh, because they had a few people that they moved over into a different component within the NSC. It's, it's just pathetic. Does anyone really think that the National Security Council had a couple of people that, well, what were they going to do? Overrule the CDC? Say, no, you can't make your own test, CDC. We're the NSC pandemic response team. This is ridiculous. Called it a hoax? That's a lie. So Joe Biden's ad is a lie. He did not call it a hoax. Trump did not say this disease is a hoax. He said the media trying to lie about Trump and his response. So really, in, call, in saying that he called it a hoax, they are perpetuating the real hoax, which is the media's approach to this all along, and the great example yesterday of uh, chloroquine phosphate, where all of a sudden that's Trump's fault. You know, if, if someone says, wash your hands, and I go and drink a whole bunch of dishwashing liquid because I think that that's going to make me even cleaner... That's on me. That's not on the health experts that say, wash your hands. 
But that Joe Biden ad is just indicative of the whole mindset right now, which is anything to get Trump is justified. And none of us really have to think about what's fair in our assessments of him and, and how should we really be thinking about the way forward with this president. Instead, we should be whining, complaining. He doesn't know what he's doing. Meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi is holding the rescue, the $2 trillion rescue package for the American people so they can pay their bills and buy groceries. She's holding that hostage. And now it seems that once again, the mythology of Nancy Pelosi's legislative brilliance, a master legislator, I believe, as she once called herself, the mythology around that is entirely a media creation. It's like RBG. It's like Ruth Bader Ginsburg's unbelievable hardcore workouts. She's a little old lady who can barely move her arms and legs during most of the exercises she's doing. And I wish her good health. and I hope everything is cool for her for a very long time. But I'm not impressed by her kettlebell swings. And it's really weird that the media pretends to be. They, but this is a cult they created, the cult of RBG, uh, because she's now so essential to mostly the abortion industry in this country. That's what they view her as a, a big protection of that. And we'll talk about Planned Parenthood. Oh, and Nancy Pelosi and how this all comes together, but it all comes full circle. But Nancy Pelosi's legislative brilliance, her tactical skill, that's, that's, all, that's all a media creation. Nancy Pelosi approaches politics from the perspective of somebody who has no ethics and is cunning. You know, that'll work in a lot of contexts. That'll get you very far. It actually gets a lot of people in the media business very far, including some conservatives, by the way. Um, but that's the way, you know, that, that doesn't mean that you're, you should be admired for this, Right. Do we really admire Littlefinger from Game of Thrones? By the way, that's a great, that would be a great series. I may go back and rewatch that from the very beginning. That would soak up some quarantine time, that's for sure. I tried to get into Battlestar Galactica. I might go back to it because I know there's a, people are so love that show, so devoted to it. I just think it's dated. I think the effects are kind of kind of cheesy, and I, I don't know. I, I couldn't get it. I know people love it, and you can yell at me, and that's fine. Uh but the thing I am, oh no, we'll talk about shows later. See, my mind is already going there because like you, I need respite from this. And so we will get to discussions with things and we'll bring in Salty Mark from the penalty box and it'll be good. But uh, Biden's ad, let's refocus, Buck. Biden's ad uh, where he's talking about, or where the, the announcer who inspires trust just by the tone of his voice. Oh, that actually sounded a little bit like a creepy stalker or something. I got to do a better job of, I'm just making you all feel comfortable here. <laughs> now I sound even creepier. Sound like the, I look like the guy, or sound and look like the guy who's in the background of the, like the 90s you know, teen slasher film, who's like, he was like the captain of the football team. And then, you know, um, anyway. So uh, the, the Biden ad is, is definitely dishonest and there's a real sense right now because people understand government does matter who's in charge does matter this is a real thing it's not oh anybody everyone does the exact same job usually that's true it's in the crises that they have to address that we see what these because that's when the, their decisions matter their authority tends to be on the upswing tends to increase and we're all paying attention and we all care so in a crisis, every decision that a politician makes inherently is more, both more impactful and more memorable. Here is what we get from, for example, the Democrat answer to Donald Trump. They had 20 candidates. They could have put anybody up. They could have put Oprah up. They could have put The Rock up. They could, you know, anybody. 
Tom Hanks, that would have been. By the way, I think he's doing pretty well from the coronavirus. Tom Hanks would have been formidable. I'm t- look, we're, we live in an era of celebrity, and pe- people being very likable and coming across that way is an incredibly powerful tool in a way that it wouldn't have been even 100 years ago because now you can reach everybody instantaneously. But they had all these options. They had all these opportunities to put forward someone who would make us all really feel like we got this. Uh, and instead, and put aside whether or not you think Trump is doing a good job, which I think solid now, solid number, 60% of Americans overall, I believe, think he is doing a good job, according to Gallup. Uh, they offer up this guy instead. Um, play clip 11, please. Are you at all concerned, as Trump said, that we cannot let the cure be worse than the problem itself? We have to take care of the cure. That will make the problem worse no matter what. No matter what. We know what has to be done. We have to take care of the cure. That will make the problem worse no matter what. No matter what, I need a nap. I mean, this guy is not up for this. And and the Democrats know it, but they're so orange man bad. They hate Trump so much that it just doesn't matter to them. Doesn't matter to them. They don't care. They think that it's, you know, it's anything, anything, anyone is better than Trump. And there's even a piece, I think, in the Atlantic right now. It's, you know, just stay healthy, Biden. Like, just telling Joe Biden, we just need you to stay we need you to stay healthy. It doesn't even matter what you say. It doesn't matter what your policies are. Just just be Joe Biden and we'll take care of the rest, more or less. Here is, uh, we, we, got, we got more Biden. Okay, so they're criticizing Trump. What's he doing wrong? And I would note that Cuomo, who I think has been pretty fair to the administration, yesterday he had some tough words for the administration. We had updates about that today. I watched the press conference and the administration's answers that I saw, well, We'll get there. I got to give you something to, you know, we got to got to hold some of the information out. So you stay with me here. You don't bail and uh, start watching the most recent season of The Last Kingdom. I'm Uhtred, son of Uhtred. Um, so here's Joe Biden when he's asked about PPE, personal protective equipment. Uh, when he's asked about what he would do differently than what Trump is doing. There's a perfect opportunity. Show us. Blue collar Joe, show us why you would be better than the president of the United States at handling this. And here is what he does. Play 16. If you were president, would you have enacted that? What would you be demanding of industry? I would have enacted a long time ago, Jake. I think it was three, two, three weeks ago I pointed out that the president should enact this. He, it should have been enacted months ago. This is a position where we know what's coming. All you got to do is look around the world. Every morning I'm on the phone for about an hour and a half with all the health experts on my committee, all the people working with me. They have been pointing out, I wish I had the graphs here with you, you see them, the spike in and U.S. cases are going like this. It's now surpassed what it would be if we continue on this path, what happened in Italy. Look, this is ridiculous. Make, make the change, like, like the governor said, Governor Cuomo, what is he going to do with several hundred or several thousand? He needs a great deal more. The whole country needs them. Ooh, is that, what was that rambling mess? This idea that Democrats knew that months ago that we should have been all hands on deck and that this is just fantasy land stuff. In fact, Democrats in January were dragging the country through a bad faith and just absolutely absurd and disgusting impeachment. That's what they were doing. That is what they were up to then. So to pretend that they cared so much about this is nonsense. And I can show you, we can sit here all day and the media a lot of media experts, oh, don't worry about coronavirus. Oh, it's not. I mean, from the New York Times, I mean, I mean, from a lot of the 
main outlets that you think of as the liberal, the flagship liberal, you know, opinion makers. So this is just nonsense. And this is hindsight is 2020. Yeah. Oh, of course I knew I saw I knew this was going to be Joe Biden just is full of it, but he's always been full of it. This guy's been running for president since the 80s. This is astonishing. It's like somehow his mediocrity is just unstoppable. Like he'll never stop. I mean, he's obviously been stopped because he's lost a lot of efforts to be president in the past. But I mean, his his endurance seems to be the primary selling point that he has to be president. Endurance and, and longevity in politics. He's been around forever and he just keeps on coming. But if you're looking for somebody that has a good strategic mind or even strikes you as particularly bright, I don't think Joe Biden is your candidate. And I don't think Joe Biden would be doing a better job right now handling this crisis than Donald Trump. And people are saying otherwise. It's wishful thinking. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. That, that is really unfortunate. I, I would wish that that would stop because we have a much bigger problem here uh, than trying to point out differences. They're really fundamentally at the core. When you look at things, there are not differences. The president has listened to what I have said and what the other people on the task force have said. When I've made recommendations, he's taken them. He's never countered or overridden me. The idea of just pitting one against the other is just not helpful. I wish that would stop and we'd look ahead at the challenge we have to pull together to get over this thing. I don't think this is minor at all. You know, I criticize the media while we're in the midst of this pandemic, and I think it's necessary to. I think it's necessary to put out the counter narrative to what they're doing to increase public awareness and with it public pressure on the bullcrap that they're doing all the time. Here is Dr. Fauci, who is the the infectious disease expert that the whole country, Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci, watching every day on TV, the expertise, not just that they possess, but that they represent because they have teams of people that are looking at all this, crunching the numbers and bring decades and decades of experience in the field of epidemiology and you know, risk management and disease, uh, disease outbreak management. Um, he is telling people right now. The media's crap needs to stop. He's saying it, too. And he's not he doesn't seem like I look if I had to guess, I don't think Dr. Fauci's a Republican. OK, this is not a partisan thing. He's just like, stop the games. Stop trying to create a rift between me and the commander in chief. He is saying it. Don't forget it. What I'm telling you, Fauci is telling you, too. So it's clearly true that they're being reckless and irresponsible at a time of maximum psychological, economic, and even physical vulnerability from the disease itself in this country. The media is being irresponsible. They're a disgrace. They're disgusting. And this is why I'm happy to see in the polls that at least Republicans trust the media to give them information about this. I think it's Republicans have an 18% of Republicans believe, think the media is doing a good job in being fair and covering this. That's the poll that I saw today. And I think that's 18% too high, but at least a vast majority of us realize that, no, they haven't they haven't decided to be more responsible. They haven't decided that they're going to do everything they can to put aside the games and the nonsense while the country is really in jeopardy. You know, if, if the nation right now, it's like we're all in the hospital and these morons in the media are showing up and saying, you know, hey, are you, are you going to have are, are you going to have a party next month? You know, or are you going to go outside? And it's like, shut up. 
and let us do what is important, media. Bring facts or close your mouths. That's what they need to do right now, but they won't do it. The journos won't. I'm not even talking about the opinion people. I'm talking about the journalists. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The total package here comes to roughly $6 trillion, $2 trillion uh, direct assistance, roughly $4 trillion in Federal Reserve lending power. Again, it will be the largest Main Street financial package in the history of the United States. Liquidity and cash for families, small business, individuals, unemployed to keep this thing going. We're heading for a rough period, but it's only going to be weeks, we think. Weeks, months, not going to be years, that's for sure. And hopefully pave the way for continued economic recovery. Recovery uh, after this uh, uh, crisis. Team, just a quick correction. I think I said eight trillion in the last uh, hour, but it is six trillion total. Still a lot of money. Still quite a pretty penny. Producer Mark, do we think we could fit six trillion dollars in your new apartment if we put it in cash? I don't even know. Uh, probably not. Maybe if it was in big bills. Yeah, I mean mm. that, that's that's like it's a lot of money. I remember the one time in my life that I held. And it wasn't my money. Uh, I held bags with very large sums of U.S. cash in them for professional reasons. And uh, I, I just remember thinking, wow, money's heavy. <laughs> Money gets heavy pretty fast. So uh, six trillion dollars would be would be a lot of cash. Uh, that much is for sure. And that's what we're facing right now, because we are friends. Americans, countrymen, we are in a tough spot right now there is no question and as i go to air we have not yet seen the passage of this massive the, the largest spending bill in history i mean this is in dollar figures the biggest act of congress of of all time i mean this will be the biggest congressional action ever so that that puts it into uh, that puts it into perspective pretty quickly i mean i remember the sense of the sky is falling back in the financial crisis of 2008 and now we realize, wow, that was actually not that bad. You know, we, we were able to deal with that one pretty quickly. The bounce back came relatively fast. So uh, this is going to be, as we all know, there's the stakes are higher and this is a more challenging situation. And, you know, sure enough, this is the test. We all knew it would come. It comes with every presidency. Right. This is the test of the Trump presidency right now. And I think the president so far is doing a good job. I cannot say it is perfect. There are areas of criticism that are legitimate, um, but I think the president is overall, I mean, I certainly put myself in that 60% that says that he has been handling this well. Uh, and I, I am pleased with the approach that the White House has taken so far. I am not pleased with the bull that the Democrats, today's a day when I kind of wish I could drop some, drop some uh, salty language on the air, but I can't. Um, I, I'm not happy with the Nancy Pelosi shenanigans the malarkey of Pelosi, that is for sure. And these other Democrats who are going along with her. Uh, he, he, I mean, here, here's what we know about what this bill that supposedly is agreed upon. And so it's only a matter of time before they actually, uh, you know, before this actually gets dispersed. It's one hundred and thirty billion dollars for hospitals, one hundred and fifty billion dollars for state and local government, three hundred and fifty billion dollars for small businesses, Four months of unemployment insurance, $1,200 for adults, and $500 per child in direct cash payments. Now, the payroll tax 
uh, holiday. I guess, do we call it a holiday? I mean, re- removing the payroll tax for a period of time. I think it's only going for employers and not for individuals. That's bad. They should have had it. That that just means anyway. That doesn't work. You got to do it for both, or else the employer is just going to end up taking it out of the individual's uh, pay. They won't take it out of their paycheck in the same way, but they pass on this cost uh, to their employees. So, I, or, or rather, sorry, you won't get the benefit for the being an employee that you would if they had eliminated at both ends. I actually did that in in reverse. Uh, at least I didn't think that. What was the number again that MSNBC host and Brian Williams? Gosh, Bloomberg spent $500 million. He could give a million dollars to every American. That's amazing. Nope. I do think it's also fair to ask. Bloomberg will end up having spent almost a billion dollars on his campaign. And he has, after promising to employ people who work in the campaign until the fall, even if even if it doesn't, um, the campaign obviously is, is over now. They're not doing that. He's not keeping his word. That seems kind of gross. I also think it's worth noting that the uh, the Bloomberg camp, well, B- Bloomberg himself could really step up here and and help out a lot of people in a lot of ways. I'm not saying he hasn't. I might have missed something, but I haven't seen it yet. You're going to spend $500 million plus on your vanity president. Look, he's allowed to do what he wants to do. I'm not saying that this is a, a compulsory thing, but if I were worth $60 billion right now, I would just be thinking I would be spending as much time as, as I had waking hours. How do I help people that are getting hurt by this right now? What can I do? Because there's a lot when you're when you're worth billions and billions of dollars. There's a lot you can do to help out your community, a lot you can do to assist instead bloomberg news for example feels more and more like the propaganda wing of the chinese communist party which is a complete disgrace we'll talk more about china later on but bloomberg is particularly bad in its coverage of all this stuff but okay so i told you what's what's in the bill and there's a lot and we don't you know we, we got to read it to know what's in it you know the whole thing um you know how journalists tell you a thousand times a day that the president lies a thousand times a day this is this has become a it's really uh, a tick. It's, it's a compulsion. Journalists will say this when they have nothing else to say. Just Trump lies. Trump lies. It, it's and they run all these fact checks about how Trump's lied like 15,000 times or something. And, I, and then I look at them and fact quote fact check after fact check. It's Trump saying, you know, I'm like the greatest or I'm the best. Not true. Trump is lying. He's not the best. It's like, are you little idiot children in the media? Oh, the answer is yes, they are. Uh, but Pelosi we all know what happened here. And I was talking about this in the last hour. Pelosi is supposed to be the strategic genius. We all know what's happening. And she's not a strategic genius. In fact, she's just at the point now where I think she's gotten sloppy because she knows the media. And some of you are like sloppy, like Chardonnay. No, I mean sloppy. Well, I mean sloppy like the media covers for her so quickly and so completely that she doesn't have to. She, she doesn't get held responsible for her mistakes for her overreach for the things that she does and so this is one of those moments where she would have been better off if the media wasn't completely a bunch of lapdogs for her no offense to lula you're great she's the french bulldog right now in the apartment with me is totally asleep because she needs at least 14 hours of sleep a day apparently that's a, that's a, i exist to feed her and to lift her up onto things that she wants to sleep on that require too much effort for her that that is why this human being exists 
But the media are lapdogs for Nancy Pelosi, and that wasn't in her favor this time around because she went too far. And now she's trying to claim she she claimed this on TV. I, I wonder how many fact checks will be run on this. I wonder how many journos will express their outrage at the brazenness. I mean, this is some there's lying and then there's lying. I mean, this is some next level stuff. Play clip two. Well, I'm not going to negotiate on TV, uh, but uh, the, uh, I, I want to have a unanimous consent. I want us to be able to go forward. Uh, not as, you know, It's not a bill I would have written in terms of some things that relate to family medical leave, that relate to uh, worker protections, that, uh, ruling on worker protections, but we, that can be done administratively. We can find other ways. Not enough money for elections, et cetera, at this time. All of everything we're suggesting just relates to COVID-19. It's not about making law for the future. It's about COVID, well, except fighting COVID-19 is for the future, but I mean, it's not changing policy except as it applies here. So again, many of the uh, many of the provisions in there have been greatly improved well, me, because of negotiation. Huh. Everything in that bill, Nancy, you heard her. Everything in that bill, she claims, relates to COVID-19. Her version of the bill, the 1192-page bill that she showed up with at the last minute and Chuck Schumer snapped to attention with the rest of the Senate Democrats and said, nope, no cloture vote, no movement on this bill. We're going to waste more time. People are rightly very concerned about paying their bills, buying their groceries, no money in the bank. What are you doing? There's no money in the bank. People would say, oh, I'll use your credit card. What if you don't have a credit card? You're gonna, you think you're going to get one right now? Uh, that might be a bit of a, bit of a challenge. You never had one before. What if you don't have a checking account? What if you're somebody who just lives from cash paycheck to cash paycheck, as many Americans do? What, what, what exactly are they offering you? Uh, what is going on here? Why are we waiting? Why the delay? Pelosi says it's all COVID-19 related. That would mean you'd have to think that carbon emissions from an airline industry that's about to go bankrupt... Um, that's about COVID-19, making sure that they're offsetting their carbon emissions, that corporate diversity on boards or diversity on corporate boards is about COVID-19, same day voting, ballot harvesting, mail-in voting, all, all these different, just a wish list of liberal stuff. And then there's also the reporting that I don't think we'll ever get fully, I don't think we'll ever hear the full scope of these negotiations, but that one of the snags here was that they wanted Small business funding. This was reported. Small business funding for Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood has to be part of this, has to be saved by, by the government, which just goes to show you that, I mean, the, the way that the Democratic Party treats Planned Parenthood, it's, it's as though it's a, a branch of the Planned Parenthood is a branch of the government as established in the Constitution. I mean, they're, they're delusional about not just the right to abortion existing in the Constitution, but that there is some edifice of the abortion industry that is essential to our republic. I mean, they really do think this. They think that it's a symbol that Planned Parenthood and the abortion lobby are a symbol of uh, liberation, women's equality, freedom, all, all these different. Uh, it's just obtuse and it's, it's disgusting. But here we are. Uh, seeing exactly where their priorities lie at this point in time. I would also note that Planned Parenthood in, I think in Pennsylvania at this point, might be happening in other places too. 
they always tell you when they when they catch a little too much heat and people say, wait a second, will you guys really will Planned Parenthood really do an abortion at you know seven or eight months? Will they really do that? Uh, whenever they catch too much heat because the public actually figures out what's going on, they like to fall back on this claim that abortion is only three percent of what we do, only three percent. And, and then they we would say, well, if they'd cut out that three percent, they should be. Yeah, everyone thinks that women should get mammograms and be funded for actual health care. So there's no problem there. The three percent is the problem, politically speaking, morally, ethically speaking. So they they've decided, do you know what the only services that Planned Parenthood in Pennsylvania is going to be offering during this shutdown? The only service, not not cancer screenings, not which they don't they refer people out for this stuff anyway, but not, you know, uh, STD screening or anything that that is health related. None of that. No, no, no. The only service they're going to continue to do is abortion. And they are being declared because they're a medical facility. They are uh, claiming the exemption that other businesses have. So they're getting loans as a small business, as, 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 a, as a, that, that's what the Democrats want. They want Planned Parenthood to get federal dollars to make sure that they keep their staff and keep everything going. And they're getting an exemption as a health care provider uh, when they're not going to be providing health care. They're only going to be providing abortions. I know that we have a lot of things to focus on right now, but um, this is the the decrepit and fetid soul of the Democratic Party on display for you. And they'll never they'll never be able to justify this. They'll never be able to run for it. And at some point in the future, I've said it many times before. The two great moral stains on this country's history, the two great moral stains on this nation. And now we're still the greatest nation in the history of the world. And, you know, I love America as much as anybody. Uh, but our two great stains will be slavery and then abortion. That That is reality. But I know we have to focus more on what this bill is going to do and who it's going to help and who it's not going to help. So let me get. Uh, well, before I, I, I dive into that, because I have very big concerns. Do you think that Pelosi is going to be hectored by journalists over this? Do you think that they're going to chase her all around saying, wait, it's all about how how are windmills and solar panels related to COVID-19? The coronavirus. How is that? That's what you claimed. And if it's all about if it's all about coronavirus, why did you wait until the last minute to do this? We all know the answer. She's a liar. Nancy Pelosi's a liar. She's lying on a big issue when people are in pain. This isn't a Trump lie about how Trump steaks were the best steaks I've ever had. I mean, maybe they were. Who knows? I never tried one. Who cares? This is a big lie. This is a lie that matters. You think she'll get anybody calling around on this one? Think, oh, the brave journos, Cooper and Tapper and... And I don't know who else. I mean, MSNBC, do they even have journalists? Do they even call themselves journalists over there anymore? I don't know what they consider themselves. Think they're going to push her on this one? No, of course not. She's doing the left's bidding, and they all know it. So she'll just get a total pass. These people are disgraced. I mean, the, the, the American corporate media needs to be raised to the ground and built anew with, a, with an entirely different ethos, with an entirely different approach. But that's a conversation that we'll have to wait until... We've saved the country and everything's okay. We'll get back to it at some point, I promise. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. 
After days of intense discussions, the Senate has reached a bipartisan agreement on a historic relief package for this pandemic. It will rush new resources onto the front lines of our nation's health care fight, and it will inject trillions of dollars of cash into the economy as fast as possible to help American workers, families, small businesses, and industries make it through this disruption and emerge on the other side ready to soar. The Bipartisan CARES Act will squarely address each of the four big priorities that I laid out in my legislation at the beginning of the process about a week ago. It will rush financial assistance to Americans through direct checks to households from the middle class on down and through a significant and creative expansion of unemployment insurance during this emergency. It will deliver historic relief to Main Street America through hundreds of billions of dollars in emergency loans so more small businesses can survive this and keep paying their workers. It will help secure our economic foundations and stabilize key national industries to prevent as many layoffs as possible. There's going to be a lot of good that this does, at least in the short term. And people, this is very interesting because we see here, the government is the cause of, I mean, the government has declared, I shouldn't say the cause, the cause of the virus, but the government has declared the shutdown. So we're obeying a government mandate to not work, to not make money, to not do what we would normally do. So it is a government responsibility to provide for people while that's going on. Right. That, that's the, the same way, you know, if the government detained you, it's the government's responsibility to feed you and take care of your medical care and everything else. You know, they could detain you and say, sorry, you're on your own now. So the government has told us to self-quarantine, which is, in effect, a mass detention for a good reason. But they also need to help people keep the lights on and, and pay their bills in the meantime. It's the right thing. But let's also remember, it's a short term thing. There, the the clock is ticking in every respect right now. We do not have, and I think this is the danger. This is the thinking on this issue that I believe is dangerous. We do not have an open-ended timeline in shutdown, and we do not have an unending checkbook with which we can deal with all of this. We were already, and this is why the trillions and trillions of dollars. And by the way, you look at the Obama administration and what was spent, not just in the rescue. Uh, from the financial crisis, but just what was spent for the, all eight years. You know, you had more added to the, to the national debt than I believe was added before it by every. Well, I don't want, I don't want to say something that's numerically untrue, but it was certainly the most expensive presidency in the history of the country. That's that's for sure. Uh, in terms of in terms of overall dollars, more dollars spent for the eight years of the Obama administration than any other comparable period of time. You might say, well, what about World War II if we adjust for inflation? I mean, there's some, but they spent a lot of money under the Obama administration. A lot of money, a lot. And we spent too much money in the Bush administration and going back and back and back. And now the debt is out of control. The debt matters, folks. And we need to keep that in mind because we could do a final straw situation here if we keep this check writing on for too long. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And most importantly, the federal government will pay your salary, your full salary, for now four months. We had asked for four months, and four months looks like what we're going to get when we come to this agreement. It will mean two things. Most of all, it will put money into the hands of those who need it so much. 
because they've lost their jobs, as I said, through no fault of their own. So that is vitally important, and that will pump money into the economy probably in a better way than anything else could do it. All right. Let's assume that what they're doing right now, and there's a lot of ways that they could probably be better about this, and I think that the limits from their 2018 tax return uh, the limits on this. If it takes too long to get people the money, that's a problem. So this has to be now. They've got to get these checks out this week, which is why the delay is inexcusable from Pelosi and Schumer, the partisan bull that they pulled here. And we all know what they did. And it was too obvious. It was too clear even for the media to cover for Pelosi. What does that tell you? You know, they wanted to. I mean, the New York Times was... Uh, you know, the Democrats shut down the bill. It's Republicans fault. I mean, they, they tried. They, they did make it's not like they were too ethical for this, but they're like, OK, even our readers are like, that's kind of that's kind of come on. Come on, guys. There are limits. There are even for crazy libs. There are limits for what they're willing to believe from their own uh, left wing news organizations. So. The don, uh, the dollar amounts are that, that's an issue. Um, I don't mean just is it enough money for people. It depends on where you are. If you, you know if you're living right now, I mean, well, we've got fantastic station out in uh, Omaha KFAB. If you're living in Omaha, you are going to be able to get a lot further on that twelve hundred dollars than you would listening out in Los Angeles on KEIB, right? If you're living in you know, the Albany area, WGY, you're probably going to have higher expenses than if you're living out in Fort Wayne, Indiana on WoWo, listening on WoWo. You know, so money doesn't go the same in terms of what your expenses are around the country, but they're not even they're not adjusting it state by state. Uh, they're just saying, look, this is the check that we're sending and here's here's what we're going to do. And the the uh, limits on this, I mean, if you made over ninety nine thousand dollars two years ago, that that's there are a lot of assumptions baked into that what if you've started a small business and you're two years into it anyway it's clearly imperfect so there's a lot of ways you can pull it apart and everyone knows that i'm not even sure how helpful it is because okay well now here's where we are and there probably will be another round there'll be another series of of bailout efforts and measures um, because right now the consensus seems to be locked down as long as we need uh, that's what's important. And anybody who says uh, anyone who says otherwise and is willing to accept any elevated risk whatsoever of this virus spreading. And remember, elevated risk could just be for people who aren't on lockdown and leave and work. This is what some have been suggesting. Maybe if you're if you are out of a, a high risk cohort and you want to go into the office or you want to be more, you know, you want to open up. But it's going to be very tricky because, you know, for the service industry, for example, you need people to be able to congregate. So I understand that. That's and that, that becomes very tricky. How do you draw those lines and what are you going to do? But uh, it's very likely that there's going to be another round of check writing from the federal government. And to people who say that's not a problem and that can't result in anything really bad, I would just respond with, hmm, OK, why doesn't the government? I mean, just do this as a thought experiment. Why does the government limit it to twelve hundred dollars, uh, you know, a person and five hundred dollars a kid? Why, why not just write everyone a check for fifty grand? I mean, you could say a million, but I mean, I guess that's just everybody would realize how catastrophic that is, right? Just because the number's so high that what is a dollar worth at that point? Okay, why not write everyone a check for maybe fifty grand? Let's say why not write everyone a check for five grand, five thousand dollars in the federal government right now? It's not that much more than what they're already doing. Why not? Why not five grand? 
Well, you realize, hold on a second, what ends up happening to the dollar and what happens to the treasury, uh, treasury bonds and to the role of the dollar as a reserve currency? There are still these economic realities that exist. There are still these economic pressures that are out there and they don't go away just because we're in the midst of a pandemic. They won't change. They won't shift just because we're in really rough shape right now. Inflation doesn't care about a virus, right? The collapse of the dollar doesn't care about the human suffering that's going on before or after the collapse. And if that's not a concern, then I do need someone to explain why are we being so stingy? Why not just write a check for 10 grand to everybody? They're already saying they're writing for couples. It'll be what, 2,400? Why not make it 10 grand? Really help people out. Give them a few months, you know, to chill. Don't worry about it, right? Well, because the numbers matter. The numbers matter because we have an economy that is built on, at some level, uh, an understanding of the government's ability to back up its obligations. And this is true all over the world, too, that people think the United States government is good for its obligations. If that perception dramatically changes, we are in for a seismic shift in the wealth and influence of this country. And that's what a lot of us are trying to avoid. That is what people are looking at now and saying, hold on a minute. What are we what are we going to do here if in two or three months we still haven't we and I want to talk about what the long term longer term plan is. And we still haven't beaten this. The economy still largely shut down. Just going to keep writing checks. When does that worry people? And, and I understand that there are, the, there are some folks right now, this is gaining a lot of stay home. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, no one cares about the economy. No one cares about the stock market. It's just all, this is what you're hearing from people who think that they're smart and wise. Uh, okay. Then why not just have a lock? Why, why not just accept we'll be in quarantine till the end of the year? Everybody somehow understands that quarantine like this to the end of the year would be catastrophic. And with that financial catastrophe would come untold misery, lack of access to routine medical care, lack of access to food, all these. Everyone understands that. So if we know and maybe some people don't, but they're just truly out of their minds, although there are people like that. They're saying we could just stay home. You have to run the experiment through in your head. Okay, then why not just let everyone stay home all the time? We can just stay like this. The government can just keep writing checks. The government can just do whatever it wants. There are pressures here from the numbers. That's why there are interest rates. There are bondholders. There are obligations all across our inordinately, I mean, enormously complicated financial system. And if you just say, well, the government's going to just write checks for everybody and the amounts don't matter and the time duration doesn't matter, then you're begging for the absolute collapse of the American economy. That's what you're really waiting for. It's going to happen. Right. Then we, we understand that. I hope there are people right now who don't. And the moment you bring this up, they say, you just want grandma to die. That's what they're yelling at you, which is a horrible, insidious and dumb thing to say to a person that's trying to think critically and honestly about how best to tackle this nightmare that the country's in. But it's going to get it's going to get scary with the spending. It's going to get scary. That's. Because people just they don't they don't want to believe they don't want to accept and they don't want to make the hard decisions now about what is tolerable risk to the economy versus tolerable acceleration of risk from the or uh, growth in risk for, for the virus in certain 
parts of the country, certain populations at certain times. No one seems to be able to answer that or wants to answer that right now. And if you try, you get yelled at, which is not good. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. But to everyone who has left New York over the last few days, because of the rate of the number of cases, you may have been exposed before you left New York. And I think like Governor DeSantos has put out today, everybody who was in New York should be self-quarantining for the next 14 days to ensure that the virus doesn't spread to others, no matter where they have gone, whether it's Florida, North Carolina, or out to far far reaches of Long Island. We are starting to see new cases across new across Long Island that suggest people have left the city. Yep. That's what's going on. People moving around spreads this. So those who, you know, ran for the country house, the cabin, the chateau, the, you know, relatives home, whatever it may be, um, might it might have accidentally brought this into even more areas which could stretch public health systems even more. This is very concerning. Um, you have hospital systems now. Remember, New York is overwhelmed. Well, will be overwhelmed based on the numbers uh, that they're projecting the hospital system here, which when we have huge hospitals, they're very advanced and they as hospitals go are well funded. I mean, I, I know something about the hospital system here. And there are other parts of the country where there is far lesser access to hospitals at all. Now, there's also less population density. So clearly, you know, you look at these things and and try to assess what the risks are and and where there is cause for real concern versus where we can manage things. But you're going to see the spread of this in a whole bunch of places all over the country that you hadn't really anticipated there being spread. And this is why having a system in place, you know, Cuomo was talking this morning about moving effectively focusing in federal resources for the ventilators and the personal protective equipment in one place, which right now would be New York, with the understanding that as New York brings down the curve, you can then move it to the next place, which, you know, could be. Uh, you know, might be in California, might be in Florida, might be in Louisiana, might be in Texas. You know, we got to just see where it is. And that's going to be logistically a challenge, but it is one way of dealing with this. You know, if you can move 15,000, 20,000 ventilators, if you can surge that to where it's needed quickly enough, that may be this, this. I'm just telling you what the governor of New York was offering up today, a mobile surge capacity for dealing with this that will have to happen Uh, in many parts of the country or they'll have to figure something else out because you are going to see smaller hospital systems are already reporting in that they're overwhelmed in places that you would not expect because if you get you know 30 or 40 people that need ventilators in a small hospital that is way outside of what they usually expect from a flu season or anything else all of a sudden now you got a capacity problem now you got to start moving people to other areas and remember whenever you're moving somebody who is suffering from COVID-19 and especially, you know, they're having trouble breathing. They clearly have the symptoms. They likely, even if they haven't been tested, know that this is what they're facing. And if you move them, you risk spreading the disease a bit. So this is uh, where we have to start getting creative with our solutions and finding ways to make sure we do the maximum possible 
We also have to note that even, you know, we get enough ventilators in place. That's necessary, right? That gives people a fighting chance. But the ventilators are no guarantee. And the governor's been saying that, too. It's not like you get on a ventilator and the fight is likely to go your way. I think the odds are certainly in the favor of a person who gets on a ventilator soon enough based on what we've seen so far. But there's still real cause for concern with this. I mean, cause for concern is a dramatic understatement, but this is where the country is right now. We're trying to find a way to deal with this uh, expected influx. And it, it is going to be, it is happening. We are at the surge. The surge is now. It is, it is going on. It's definitely going to be going on here in New York City, uh, where I'm broadcasting to you from, and it will be in many other places across the country. Here's, a th- here's something that I don't think is getting enough attention now as we consider. And this is everyone's involved in this. So everyone is it, it is incumbent upon all of us, especially where a lot of us are stuck at home. By the way, just also a shout out to uh, truck drivers, longshoremen, you know, UPS, Postal Service, you know, uh, electric utility, water utility, sanitation. I think I might have said uh, garbage disposal, but I know that's actually something that's under your sink. But sanitation workers, people that pick up garbage and recycling for cities, for municipalities and and counties. Thank you for doing what you are doing. You are appreciated every single day. We are we are indebted to you for what you are doing. I know this is your job and a lot of you take particular pride in doing your job at this point in time. I've been getting your messages about that. But we really do mean it. We really thank you for this. Um, you know, every day out there. I know people that are scared. To, I know people that aren't in the high risk group who are kind of scared to leave their house in New York right now. They don't want to go outside. They don't want to go outside. You can imagine going from building to building and having to uh, take care of the city's sanitation. But of course, it's absolutely essential. I mean, what would happen if in any U.S. city, all of a sudden we just had trash piling up everywhere? Not only would it be uh, unsightly, it's a major health hazard at a time we're already dealing with a health crisis. So thank you all for what you're doing. And I know a lot of you listen to this show and also doctors, nurses, first responders, police, fire, you know, you're, you're, you're holding society together right now. You are carrying the American Republic right now on your shoulders in a way that, you know, usually is, is left to those who are serving the military overseas. Uh, and, military overseas still doing what they do and i know there's been a surge in cases for them too so these are the people those who are not able to just stay at home and telecommute uh which is necessary you know people have to keep doing their jobs too i'm not by any means trying to uh, minimize that and everyone's making sacrifices different ways but those who are still showing up for their jobs thank you Uh, especially those who are doing it on the uh, security safety and provision of essential resources side you are keeping this place, you're keeping this country alive. I don't know, that's also where I wanted to get to. When do we think that this becomes manageable where there's not risk? I, I believe that there is a, and this is what I've been trying to get at, and, and I think maybe I was a little, a little early with some of this. People weren't ready to hear it. doesn't mean it's not true. But there will have to come a time when we say, all right, we're going to allow more people to go out of their homes, and there will still be risk. There, there is no future in this year where there won't be risk, right? It's, unless someone develops a miracle cure, which no one thinks is going to happen, there's going to be risk leaving your home because we're not going to eradicate this disease. In fact, most experts believe that it will come back and that it will be cyclical and that it will be bouncing around the population. And 
So it'll, it'll go down. And I think the warm weather is going to be very helpful. And I will talk about some causes for optimism coming up here. But when do we think it's going to be safe to work again? There will, there will be no point, and, and, and serious people need to understand this. There's not going to be a point at which, anytime soon, for months and months, at which you will not be accepting an increased risk to the population from this virus by going to work and engaging in more activity. And we also know that we can't just say locked into our homes for months and months and months. So this is what we need to balance out. This is what society has to tackle, what our government and all of us have to figure out right now we got to start establishing what the baseline is for that kind of activity and what acceptable risk will be because there is no future anytime soon in which there is no risk thanks for listening to the buck sexton show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts want to say we still have folks that aren't following the recommendations and that ultimately hurts all of us i'm about to do the update today of new cases but i want to say without identifying which one we have a positive case today from someone who attended a coronavirus party and this is the part uh, where i the person that tell everybody to be calm have to remain calm myself because anyone who goes to something like this may think that they are indestructible, but it's someone else's loved one that they are going to hurt. We are battling for the health and even the lives of our parents and our grandparents. And don't be so callous as to intentionally go to something and expose yourself to something that can kill other people. We ought to be much better than that. Got to tell you, I didn't know that there was such a thing as a coronavirus party. Producer Mark, had you had you heard about this? No, but nothing shocks me anymore. Uh, it turns out that some of the spring breakers who were down in Florida who were like, "Yeah, man, I can't get coronavirus. If I do, it's like no big deal, man." Uh, some of them, the ones that there's a pretty famous photo now of them doing. I don't. I don't know if they're taking shots off the small of each other's backs. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like a shot train or something. Like a body shot. Yeah, like they're taking body shots, but off the. Like I don't. I don't know. I don't know. It's a family show, but they're out in public. I mean, they're clothed, but I just. Anyway, turns out one of them. I, I don't know which one. I don't think they're identifying, but one of them has uh, come down with uh, COVID-19 now. So even on spring break, where it's warm and everyone was drinking and partying, yeah, the, you can still. There's a, I mean, there's a lot of things you can catch, but they caught COVID-19. And that's not a surprise to anybody that was looking at this saying, what are you guys doing down there? And they shut down the beaches. Uh, it's kind of a shame that they shut, they shut things down when there are some people who comply and others who don't. Obviously, taking body shots is not complying. Uh, but there are some activities that are, you know, a little bit more in the, is this really, like tennis is shut down now in D.C., you're more than six feet away from somebody playing tennis against them. I don't know. That seems to me a little, little tough. Basketball shut down because you're going to have close physical contact playing basketball. That's here in New York City. So there are only some sports, some activities that you're uh, approved to do right now. And it turns out that in, in the gym in my building, everybody did return the equipment that they took, which is kind of funny to me because I thought about borrowing that equipment too because I'm just, man, quarantine bod is going to hit the buckster hard. Yeah, I'm going to show up here in, you know, a couple of months, like 20 or 30 pounds heavier. 
with a shaved head because I'm just going to get so sick. I can't do anything about the massive swoop. You know, I know these are dumb things. I've got friends who are complaining that they can't. You know, I know ladies who say they can't get their nails done. And that's, you know, annoying. I mean, these are these are the little petty things that we all know don't matter. We're not really complaining about it. But if we're going to have a little fun with our circumstance now in quarantine, you know, this is the stuff that you just got to you got to roll with somehow. Now you got to find a way to take care of yourself and in, in, in uh, new with new challenges. Um, I will say that I'm trying to keep my apartment as clean as I possibly can recognizing that but I, you spend so much time in it i feel like it's easier for things to to pile up and get dirty plus i got a little dog running around here although she's actually quite clean um i'm much messier the human being is much messier than the canine in this in this context but i don't have the luxury that say producer mark has where he's able to just uh keep it buzzed i do have clippers though for the beard so maybe maybe i just try what do i mark do I, if i put on the highest Whatever it is, like, a, you know, probably an inch or an inch and a half uh, guard on the clippers. And I just went after it. I probably could. My, my parents would, would, you know, people would be like, what are you thinking? Mm. But I probably could uh, shave it down, right? Shave the head down. if I, not, not shave it all the way, but like give like a, like a crew cut. Like a trim? Yeah. I mean, you could. I don't know. It Do sounds it, like it, a terrible is, idea, but you could. I mean, this is a terrible idea, but now I'm thinking, it's like, what if I live stream this <laughs> just to entertain people? I mean, it would be great content. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, it would be so... Would, would we have to change all the headshots? Like, how would that work? I know. I'd look so ridiculous, but I, I can't... Look, you can't get... There's no barbershops open. You can't get a haircut right now. It is you not... You don't go to a barbershop. You go to a salon. I do not go to uh, a yeah, salon, yeah, I don't sir. believe you. Excuse me, sir. I will have you it's know. It's more salon than barbershop, I'm sure. This is a, this is false. This is false. How much do you pay for a haircut, Buck? 50 bucks. Yeah, that's a, that's a salon. If you yeah. really want to know, actually, I go to a... Uh, let's see if pro a producer Nick has thoughts on this, too. What's he, what's he telling me? Uh, I go to a hair and uh, makeup guy from the uh, TV news business who can do it, who does it right there while the news anchors are getting ready. That's actually, so I got kind of a hookup with that, but the studios are all shut down, so I can't do that anymore. So I technically don't even really, I used to go to a barber though, a very well-known barber on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, I will have you know, where none other sure. than Mr. Donald Trump used to get his hair cut. Uh, so. He definitely goes to a salon. Um, I don't know who, I, I'd be curious hmm. to know who, and I, look, I know this is, Folks, this is intentionally frivolous talk because we can't just wallow in the in the, you know, mounting tension and and for some near despair right now. We got to think about other things too. Sometimes, yeah, I don't know. You're gonna have a quarantine cut, quarantine cut buck at some point. I do think the beard going uh, and for a lot of you, write in. Tell me what you're doing. I mean, I, I want to know what the folks are up to out there. Let me know if you're gonna be doing your own haircut. If you're planning on making any changes. Um, I also I shared on Instagram my I made seared scallops in a browned butter herb sauce. I used chive. I probably should have used uh, tarragon. Tarragon's very good with the. Uh, uh, I like tarragon with seafood. Also, you know, producer Mark, what's your favorite aromatic or herb? I don't say I have one, Buck. Hmm. Who has a we favorite have herb? Have to work on that. For red meat, I'm a rosemary guy, so I think a little bit of, of, of finely chopped rosemary adds a very nice little little oomph to a red meat. But well, what what are the producer Mark tips for staying 
staying happy, healthy, and sane in quarantine. What, what do you bring? Bring us into the, a day in the life of producer Mark out in NJ, Ugh. making sure that he stays safe and sound. I've gotten into a bit of a routine, and I hate it. Like, I'm waking up later than I normally would because I don't have to commute anywhere, so what's the point of getting up at the crack of dawn like I normally do? Uh, then I wait for you to finally be ready after yes. I get all the cuts. Yeah, that takes Then I time. do the show. That does take a lot of time. Then I do the show, uh, watch some TV, maybe have some lunch, play some video games. My wife will get home, make some dinner, go to bed. What is what is Mrs. Mark? What does Mrs. Mark do? Uh, she uh, manages an imaging center, which is staying open during all of this. Right. I thought she's medical. She's in the medical provider yeah, community. She is. What she what's she saying about what her colleagues and folks that she's, you know, doctor's office and stuff. What, what I'm just wondering, does she have any kind of atmospherics about what's going on? Because we're right here in New York City. I mean, luckily, she isn't dealing with patients that are necessarily infected, but they are screening everybody before they come in. You know, since radiology is fairly important, if somebody needs, you know, a CAT scan or something, they have to stay open. But if they have a fever or anything like that, they have to go wait in their car. Then they'll get screened. It's a whole process that they're doing right now. And she has to wear a mask and gloves and all that stuff all day. So it's definitely interesting times for anyone in healthcare. And I mean, I am thankful she's not clinical right now. Not that I wouldn't want her to be if she wanted to be. But I, I mean, I just my heart goes out to all those people right now that are are on the front lines, my, my sister-in-law yeah. included. I know a lot of nurses and doctors, you know. I've, I've spoken to I've spoken to some MDs in the last week um, who, you know, friends of mine, I have a lot of, I have actually a fair number of friends who went to medical school and now they're doctors in practice. And uh, they, they're worried. They're worried because they're, remember, it, it's all about exposure to, you know, the, the amount of virus. I mean, this stuff is highly complicated and actually isn't even really understood all that well um, by by science, um, but the amount of viral exposure, the duration of viral exposure, all these things can affect not just your whether or not you get infected, but perhaps even the severity of the infection. So, you know, people that are on the front lines as healthcare providers have to be super super careful careful about all this stuff. But I said we're gonna we're gonna enter the the uh, how to stay how to stay safe and sane in quarantine zone of the show instead of you know focusing on on what can feel pretty bleak sometimes on the other side. Do you guys, well, what was the show you guys told me you both liked that I'm, I'm going to check it out? It was a manifest. Manifest. What, what, do you think I would like it? I think you would. And I also, did you, did you like Breaking Bad? I loved Breaking Bad. Okay. I thought, it, was, I thought it, might, it might be the best TV show of all time. Yes. So have you seen Ozark? I think uh, it's Jason I, I like Bateman? Ozark a lot. I think it's yeah. kind of a poor man's Breaking Bad, yeah. but that doesn't mean it's not Well, it comes back show. Friday. That's why I'm mentioning it. mentioning it. The new season comes out. No way. Yeah. Really? Which is great really? timing. That is good. That is good timing. I'm going to I'm going to binge that this weekend for sure. Also, uh, have you you haven't seen The Last Kingdom. The Last Kingdom just came out with, I think, season four or maybe five, uh, which is a great, a great show about the Viking era era of expansion. So I got that one going. Does producer Mark have a book he's reading right now? Uh, producer Mark should be reading a lot more, but he's not. Hmm. Huh. Well, I was Mark reading the uh, Mitch Rapp series before. Uh... Oh, that's the uh, that's the movie with Tom Cruise in it, right? Yeah, but I read the book. I heard the the, the movie stunk. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, was it pretty good? It is pretty good. Yeah, I'm in the middle you know of it. He passed away recently, and I I actually read a number of his books. I don't remember them at all, but I remember liking them. Was Clive Cussler? Do you know who that guy is? I he do writes not. these adventure, kind of like adventure Tom Clancy novels. You know, it's somehow there's always like a Navy SEAL who's traveling to the Sahara Desert or you know undersea, uh, you know, in the Mariana Trench or you know whatever. I mean, there's like all this 
these very contrived situations. But uh, I remember reading Clive Cause. He just passed away, I think, maybe a month ago. Um, but I remember reading his books and thinking they're pretty great. Now would be a really good time to dig into some Tom Clancy, some of Michael Crichton's best. Did you ever read Jurassic Park? I didn't. Uh, that's something I would like to read, though. That's a great book. Like the you'll you will, and the book is better than the movie, which is usually true, right? But you'll appreciate the book, even having seen the movie a bunch of times. The book is just way, it's just an elevated level from what you have. Versus, um, yeah. But the movie was good, unlike Congo, which is another Michael Crichton book that I would recommend to people who are on quarantine lockdown right now. Congo is a great read. It's cool for for you know what it is. Um, the movie is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Have you ever seen the Congo movie? I have not. It's amazing. <laughs> People show up. There are killer. There are these killer gorillas that are white with red eyes. So they're like they're like uh, you know like polar bear gorillas with red eyes that attack people and, and eat them. Um, and then they try to kill. And then the good guys figure out some laser based on a. It's horrible. It's like the worst movie I've ever yeah, seen. Just your description sounds terrible. Yeah. It, and it's like the, the, gra- the effects are really cheesy. They have a, a person in a gorilla suit who's speaking using sign language and like a little electronic voice. It's horrible. Ooh. It's like it's actually so bad that I think maybe it's worth watching just so you can see how bad a movie with a pretty big budget can be. Why not just do CGI gorillas like they do in the King Kong? No, no, no. It would have been way better. No, this was yeah. like late. This was like 95 or 96. Oh, all right. Yeah. So, so they, they went with like people in gorilla costumes or gorilla suits or whatever. And uh, yeah, it did not, not really work out well. Um, no, Crichton, Crichton books are amazing. Clancy books are amazing. Clive Cussler. Um, Read Harry I never, Potter. I, I never got into uh, who's the who's the the client, the rainmaker, all that like lawyer thriller stuff. Mm. John Grisham. I never read a John Grisham book. Maybe now's the time. I think my mother liked those back in the day. I don't remember them. You ever read a Stephen King one? No, I don't like horror the, the, that genre. Oh, I mean, a, a book. I didn't know if that would be mm. something you would, you would give a try to. But yeah, I'm. Uh, I got I got plenty of books, but the problem is I have to read so much about coronavirus these days that I feel like reading itself I, I might have to get a PlayStation 4 sent to me I, I think if we're going to be on lockdown yeah. my I have my one already FIFA, my, my call of duty skills will become legendary just give it time you're in the freedom hut this is the Buck Sexton show podcast Team, as I've been saying uh, now more than ever, the connection that we have is just so necessary and so appreciated by me. And I hope you feel the same way. Uh, People are in quarantine. They're getting tired of watching the news all day. And it's nice to it's nice to give your eyes a rest. I find that that's really the case for me, at least. And so listening to things, it still allows you to, you know, cook dinner, clean up a little bit, do a little bit of uh, admin work or, you know, I don't know, do a puzzle, whatever you've got going on. Listening, uh, but not watching can give your eyes a little bit of a rest sometimes. So that's where that's my pitch for podcasting. And if you have a friend who is in quarantine right now, which I mean, a third of the country is in quarantine, um, please do say, hey. You know, just send them. You can send them the Buck Sexton show uh, in a an email, a text message. It's on the Apple Store. It's in the Apple Store, as we know, under podcasts. Also on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify. Any of you who have Spotify, you can not just listen to the show yourself, but you can just say, "Hey," and you share it with a friend of yours. 
So you you are the one spreading spreading the word about this show, and I greatly I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I really do appreciate it every day, and uh, it's it's an honor to have such an amazing audience uh, as as I do. Uh, so, all right. With that, we'll get to a roll call, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, in case you didn't know, or our email address. And I would love and tell me, you know, write roll call, um, you know, roll call first timer or roll call. Uh, I don't know. We'll think of something, something cool for people that are, you know, I guess first timers. That's the word that comes to mind. But I'd love to hear from some people that they haven't written in before. And they're just saying, you know, and you can. Producer Mark loves the two or three line roll call messages. Don't think that that's those are not welcome. I mean, the, the slightly longer ones are, are fine, too. Um, but we love, you know, three, four lines. Hey, what's up? Here's my question or here's my thought. You know, Shields High. That's great. We, we, it doesn't have to be a book that you write. It could take you 15 seconds to do this. But we'd love to hear from as many of you as possible. And we're going to get to a lot of this. Also, um, I did another Facebook Live yesterday. Uh, so if you want, that's on Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. And uh, you can join me on that whenever you like. I'll let you know when we're going to do the next one. It depends on what Tallulah is up for because she can be very, very snooty about doing Facebook Live. She's like, this is not a good angle for me. Where's my hair and makeup people? I'm her hair and makeup people. Uh, just got to make sure she's clean. All right. Joe. Hey, Buck. Love your show. I've recently added it to my daily podcast regimen. Yesterday, you were thanking people who still show up to work and keep our country moving. As a proud postal employee and a staunch conservative, a rare thing I know, I would like to say no thanks needed. I love my job of 26 years and appreciate the living it has provided. All I would like to ask is when this is over, can people lay off the privatization talk? I think there are things the post office can do in these times of crisis, especially publicly held. During 9-11 and the anthrax crisis, people showed up to their job when we really didn't know how widespread of an attack it was. And today we have people at window counters facing people every day that are at high risk. It seems like when times are good and no crisis, we're an easy punching bag for some. Shields High, thank you for all you, all you do. Joe, a very, a very well-made and very appreciated point here. Uh, first of all, I know you're saying no thanks needed, but we are thanking you. And it would really add to everyone's anxiety and feelings of 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 dread if they knew that they weren't able to get mail or if mail was you know dramatically delayed and you couldn't get bills you couldn't get packages and so people are so used i do most of my personal shopping i'd say i do i'd say i do 90 percent of my personal shopping virtually going into a store i'm talking about pre-pandemic going into a store or something i rarely do the only exception is for food and and drugstores if i need something quickly but other than that I, I do i shop on i get i get my books i get my clothing i get you know anything i need for the home online i, I really don't mess around with uh, a lot of in-person stuff so that means that we need a delivery system and that's the post office is a big part of that so thank you sir for what you're doing thanks for listening to the bus sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iheart radio app or wherever you get your podcasts Doug, hello, Buck. Why are small businesses expected to cover their rental costs when the government shuts them down? It should be the property owners that seek relief from government and not small businesses making rent. Rent should be waived. My town has six landlords that own most of the downtown. Why put the onus on the 75 small businesses? The government has said that these properties are deemed unusable. Doug, it's a, I think it's an entirely fair point. 
I, mean, I guess they're just taking the prospect of they're just going to get as much money to as many people as they can. But, you know, but I, but I see I know that the property owners in some cases would say, look, we have very large, you know, mortgage payments and, and service payments to meet. And if we just if no one gives us rent, we're going to promise too. But the response to that would be, well, then the government should, should step in at that level instead of at the um, small business level. But, Doug, there's no perfect answers. There's no perfect solution. And I'm not saying that as like a, you know, tomato, tomato, you know, who cares? I'm just saying you're right. That would seem to work, too. And that might seem to be a better way to do all of this. Um, but I, I don't have an answer for you as to why the government didn't take that approach. I'm sure they have their reasoning for this, but look, this is a desperate rescue package. This is not something that they've spent years figuring out. And there are clearly, clearly going to be shortcomings. There are shortcomings in it. That, that's baked into this thing. So I, I hear your, uh, I hear you on small businesses and, and the concern that small businesses have about making rent and how that's not really seeming to be that reflected in this uh, in this package, not as, as immediately as perhaps it should. And this is what I keep telling people also. OK, so if you if your business is shut down and they give you some money to make payroll, if your business rent is, I don't know, five thousand dollars a month and you're shut down for the next three months, you go back on you go back on. OK, you've got employees, but where's that fifteen thousand dollars going to come from? Is anybody really the government's going to write checks for all that, too? I mean, you're going to start to get to a point here where is the government the economy or is the government administrating uh, an economy that is the American people? We know that it's supposed to be the second thing, but increasingly it's going to look like the first thing. Uh, Chris, Buck and producer Mark, I've been listening to your show every day on iHeart podcast for the last several months and share it with anyone who I think will listen. Thank you so much, Chris. We really appreciate that. I just lost my job days ago because the small startup company I was working for is not positioned to make it through this kind of economy. I will be surprised if they still exist in two months. Say a prayer for me and my family, along with everyone else for that matter. I'm one of these folks that my 2018 looked great, but I need something now and I don't qualify as the aid is being distributed right now. Shields high, brother. Chris, hearts go out to you, man. Uh, I absolutely this is this is the circumstance that I've been concerned about. People that work for startups or small companies that are just barely making payroll as it is, they're going to go under because of this. And just because you had a pretty good 2018 doesn't mean that you've got money to cover bills now. Chris, we hear you, man. Just hang in. You and your family, you hang in. Keep uh, keep in touch with all of us. You know, uh, if you can on social, reach out. See if some members of Team Buck are in your area, and they might have some ideas for jobs. You know, leverage this network. I mean, people have got people have gotten jobs because of. This show, people have gotten married because of this show. I mean, I, I know these things for a fact. So always think about that. I mean, this is a, you know, this is a community of people who are engaged in an activity every day that you know, brings them up to speed on information and hopefully has some substantial entertainment value. But also other people that listen to this, that's that's a commonality. It's the same reason why when people listen to this, when people know me from the TV that I do, which I do less now than I used to, I'm mostly focused on radio, but I still do TV sometimes. People know me from TV like, oh yeah, I know that guy from TV. If they're Team Buck, if they listen to the show every day, they see me, they know I want them to come up and talk to me. They can, well, now they can hug me. These days we're not really hugging as much, but you guys would all be cleared for a hug if we weren't worried about a pandemic. Uh, but I can always tell the difference. When someone's excited and they know instinctively, yeah, if I uh, I see Buck somewhere and I want to go up and talk to him, 
uh, he'll be not only you're welcome, I'll be happy. I'll be like, oh, great. What's going on? Talk to me. You know, that that always is. That's always the way I feel. And everyone who listens to this radio show knows I'm just bringing that up because, uh, you know, if you find people in your area who listen to this show and you say, hey, can you guys help me out? I just know there's a spirit of of uh, brotherhood, sisterhood, camaraderie, shared patriotism, shared decency. That is so uh, such a, a, a binding a binding agent for this audience that if you reach out to them and say, hey, this is a situation, somebody may really surprise you. Somebody may really be able to help. Um, I know that, you know, a lot of people listen to this show who are business owners, um, a lot of people who are very impressive in their fields or just have great Rolodexes might be able to assist you with any number of things. So I'm just putting that out there as an option right now because I know we're all, also because we're all virtual, right? You can't really go out and pound the pavement. You got to pound the keyboard. So see if Team Buck can help out. You know, uh, maybe post in uh, post online to some other people that, you know, who are involved with uh, the Freedom Hut. Duke. Hi, Buck. Uh, From New Zealand here. There are still fewer than 150 cases of the Wuhan virus. As I'm writing this, we will be in lockdown as of midnight tonight. Most of the time, I do not agree with our current government. This time, I believe it is the correct path for our country. Lockdown here is everyone is in isolation and all businesses closed except for essential ones. Keep up the good work. Well, Duke, I mean, that just goes to show you New Zealand's on the other side of the world from America, uh, although Kiwis are awesome people. Kiwis, Aussies, I, I, I think my, my get-along ratio with Kiwis and Aussies is like plus 90% in general. It's, am I going to say it's probably higher than Americans because of all the libs that I have to deal with? I'm just saying. Kiwis and Aussies, there's like, ah, oh, politics, yeah, whatever. You know, they don't really care. So at least the ones that I've met. Um, but anyway, back to what you're saying here, Duke. Uh, yeah, I think the lockdown situation, I, I, don't, I don't see a way around it, at least in the short term. You've got to at least get your health capacity up in all these different countries to try to fight this. India is now increasing on lockdown. India also has shut us off from our flow of chloroquine pharmaceuticals from them. Folks, you know, for years and years, a lot of people, Trump was one of the biggest voices on this before he was president. Warning about we need domestic manufacturing. This is a national security issue. We need access to we need, you know, domestic energy. We, we can't rely on foreign partners for critical country and life sustaining needs. And now we are now we are in the situation that people who were making that case were trying to raise to our attention. Sure enough, we got problems, right? Because we don't have manufacturing. Now, look, Bayer, I think down in I forget where the, I think it's in one of the Carolinas, but Bayer's ramping up production of chloroquine. There's some information today uh, about, uh, you know, and, and I wanted to tell you about the good news, the good news. And I know that I forgot about that. Um, there's some indication from one study that chloroquine doesn't really do all that much, but it's not an official study. So who knows? You know, we, we just don't know yet. So we're in a wait and see. We're in wait, the official line right now for me to all of you is we are in wait and see on chloroquine and we are hopeful. That's where we are. But on the good news side of things, the mutation of this virus seems to be pretty slow from what they're seeing, which means that a vaccine would be likely long lasting and effectively permanent if we get one. And also uh, the warm weather is coming and it looks likely that that will that will help dampen the spread of the virus itself. And the Dow surged over 2000 points yesterday, which is good. But any stock market move, stock market moves are really just a reflection of sentiment that day. 
Uh, I'm not sure that anybody could start to be too happy because the stock market could go down, you know, a thousand points, two thousand points tomorrow, as we all know. But those are all good. Those are all good indicators, good things to look at uh, at this point in time. Jeff writes, hey, Buck, trucker Jeff here. Listen to Monday's podcast. I want to tell you my wife's a nurse and she's off right now. She had to have a surgery, but she's heard some of the other nurses complaining there that they want to stop going to work because there's not enough protective, uh, prote- uh, protective equipment for them. They're scared and mad. Yeah, Jeff, that's I'm hearing some of that, too, where even medical medical providers are saying like, OK, we're willing we're willing to take some degree of risk, but we're not going to show up and treat COVID-19 patients with you know no gloves, no masks and uh, no ven- no ventilators to put them on, even if we can figure it out. Right. We, they you need to give them the tools. The same thing. Look, if, if you have somebody in the military, they sign up and you say, all right, you know. Go, go defeat the Nazis. And they say, all right, where's my rifle? And you say, hey, you know, do the best you can. We're not giving out rifles this time. We don't have any. That's not how we do things here. If we're looking at this as a war analogy with a fight against this virus, we got to give our frontline personnel the tools, the weapons, if you will, against this virus that they need. And that's where I mean, we're, we're seeing American manufacturing right now ramp up. You know, we've seen some of the great names of American industry and commerce, you know, uh, uh, General Motors, for those of you that are big Tesla fans, Tesla says that they're stepping up here. Um, so there's a lot of people that are doing stuff right now to be as as helpful as they can. Ah, Mike Mike Lindell, my pillow founder. I, I know Mike a little bit. Uh, they're making masks now. My pillow is making masks, send them across the country. So people are really stepping up. Uh, Paul writes, Buck, the article by Professor John Ioannidis uh, was eye opening. We could probably go on with business as usual with a warning to the more susceptible folks about the risk. Voluntarily testing some people using a random sample method might be a good idea. We may be in a lot of trouble if we don't get back to normal soon. On another note, how can we figure out if a governor has the authority to tell us to stay home? Thank you for your hard work. Paul, this is all very complicated, right? It's all very tough. What what do we really think the number is for not just spread of the disease, but for mortality? Nobody really knows. Nobody really knows. Um, we have a lot of competing estimates. There's a piece in the Wall Street Journal from a couple of other Stanford medical uh, researchers and people that know epidemiology very well. And they're saying that based on the data that we have, it is likely this is according to a Wall Street Journal editorial. So, I, you know, this is an, on the opinion pages, but they're saying that it is probably if you look at all the infections and then the number of people that have died from this, it's probably orders of magnitude less lethal than what we were it already is orders of magnitude less lethal than what we were told in the very beginning which was three to five percent that was scaring the crap out of people rightly so um this is more looking like it's going to be one percent point five percent something now remember point five would be five x the flu so that's still high but one percent's a lot better than five percent and point five percent's good bit better than one percent uh gotta gotta focus on the math um i i don't know i mean that's my sense is that we should be prepared in a few weeks and this is what this is what a lot of uh, libs on the social media are getting angry at me for even suggesting in a few weeks we should probably try to lessen some of the business and commerce restrictions but absolutely keep vulnerable populations sequestered home you know as safe as possible get them whatever assistance they need, pay whatever bills need to be paid for them. The government's going to have to break out the checkbook for that. But 
I, I just the, the problem with waiting and I'll say this and I should have said it before the problem with waiting until it's clear to everybody that this is fine. This is economically unsustainable is when it's clear to everybody we're already in a depression and it's too late. That's what they don't get. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, more roll call here with uh, Katie kicking us off. Hey, Buck, I totally agree with you. When they said flatten the curve, I knew it would also widen the curve. This might keep facilities from being too crowded, but it never guarantees that people will not get the virus eventually. I don't understand the long-term goal or plan. Yeah, this is the concern that a lot of us have. If they, I mean, yeah, okay, I understand. If you overwhelm the health facilities, you'll have people dying in larger numbers because they can't get any care. Fine. So that's why I've said 15 days, I, I get it. But we also need to understand that there is no total safety from this virus if we're interacting in society at all. And it's not possible to have no interaction in society and maintain our, you know, our economic people. I, I say economic system, and, and there's this tendency to think stock market, 401k. This is what the libs keep yelling. You know, you know, people that are rich want to stay. The really rich people have already gone to their private islands, and they've already gone to their, you know, you know, their hideaways, and they've stacked up enough food, and they don't care at all. So this is the people that get hurt by a shutdown economy are not rich people. This is a lie. This is what everyone needs to remember. It's the people that are worth 50, 100 million, a billion, 10 billion, whatever it may be. People who are actually rich, not people who make $100,000 a year. They're not rich. The people who are actually rich are going to be fine economically, assuming the dollar doesn't collapse and there's not a complete reset of the economy that way. The people that are hurt are working people, those who are working paycheck to paycheck and you know, need the money in an immediate sense, shutting down the economy is crushing them. It's not crushing, you know, lib journos who work for the Washington Post or the New York Times. They're working from home. They're just, you know, typing away in their computers, drinking soy lattes, talking about how evil anybody is that wants to avoid a depression, right? I mean, that's, they're fine with it. Yeah, I wonder what their attitude will be like when they go to Trader Joe's or Whole Foods and all of a sudden, not only is there no you know, green tea matcha powder on the shelves. There's no milk. There's no bread. There's no food, really. Now, you could say, Buck, that won't happen. Oh, yeah? What, what, what goes on if, if all of a sudden we have this continuation here and you have a true financial crisis, a credit crisis? What happens if inflation kicks in? Did, does anyone think that the countries that have gone through economic nightmares were... Like, yeah, let's go, let's do that. That sounds like a good idea. No, it happened to them because of decisions that were made. And once they realized that it was too late. But I don't know. Once to hear this right now. No, we'll just we'll just all say lockdown. For, we'll all say lockdown for a year. What, what could happen? We don't need to worry about anything. We'll just stay locked down for a year. This is this is kind of the left wing mentality that I'm seeing now as if that won't have catastrophic consequences to life and to health. It's not about it's not about people's stock accounts. I don't even I don't even care about people's stock accounts. <sighs> All right. Joanne, I think we should treat the Wuhan virus and the economy the same way we were trained to do damage control in the Navy. The number one thing during a fire or flooding is to sh- uh, save the ship. Of course, you try to get every sailor out of the spaces. But when it's time to dog down the hatches, it's over. Never had to experience that. Only saw it in the movies. The economy is the ship and we need to save it. No, I mean, Joanne. This is a point of view that the people are, are expressing, taking into account that we are already losing people to this virus. We will continue to lose people from this virus. 
we are mitigating risks from this virus. We're, there's no zero. There's no people are not going to die if only we give up the economy. It's people are dying. And how much risk are we willing to accept of additional death if we do more economic activity? I don't know. No one thinks of it this way, but that is what happens in the world all the time. That's what happens with driving. It's what happens with what pharmaceuticals you can take. It is all about balancing out risk. We, no one, the government does not promise anyone a zero-risk existence. Does not promise anyone zero-risk to their health. It can't. And so government policy can't be made on if it saves just one life. I mean, okay, it would save, it would save just one life if we uh, banned all driving. It would save thousands of lives, actually, tens of thousands of lives. Does anyone want to make that case? The president said this. There's a reason he said it. And people go, oh, it's a, no, it's illustrating the point. Um, all right, team, that's, uh, that's it for today. Thank you so much. for. I, I kind of went at length there. My bad. Thank you so much. Please download the podcast. Tell your friends. We'll be back here tomorrow. We're all going to be okay. Watch a movie. Listen to a good song. We here in the Freedom Hut love you. We'll be here for you every day. Shields high.